little boy went to his daddy and he said, hey, daddy, where were you born? And daddy said, I was born in Kentucky. Where was mama born? Oh, mom was born in uh, Florida. Wow. Daddy, where was I born? Ah, oh, you, yeah, you were, you were born in Texas. Oh, wow. And where was, where was baby sister born? Oh, baby sister, she was born in California. And the little boy got this, this huge grin on his face, and he said, wow, Dad, can you believe? It's amazing how God got us all together. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that just cute? I, I want to take a poll because that's always fun. I want to know where people are from, and, and I, I'm excited to see how God got us all together. So I was born in this place, you may have heard of it, called Georgetown, Texas. Uh, anyone else born in Texas? Born and raised in Texas. That's a good, a good number. Okay. How many of you, anyone here born in New York? New York. No one. All right. No. First service, neither. We're working on that. We're going we're gonna to do some evangelism strategies in New York. Okay, uh, what about Florida? Florida, anyone? California. I know we've got some Californians. Yes, welcome to Texas. We know there are a lot more coming. Uh, <laughs> let's see, where are some other states? Other states where you're born? States in the United States of America. New Mexico. Anyone from New Mexico? One. Okay. <laughs> That's the quiet state. You don't hear us. Uh, any other states? Mississippi. We had Mississippi in first service. Any other Mississippi? Just one. That's all right. You got a lot of S's and I's in that state. Where? Ohio. That's right. Oh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Chile. That's good. Cincinnati. North Carolina. Where are you pointing? Oh, North Carolina is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Texas is better. Um, Alaska. Alaska, never been there. It's too cold. Um, anywhere else? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. That's great. Wisconsin, the great Midwest. That's great. Um, how about let's step outside of the... I really do. I feel bad, Paul. I love North Carolina, by the way. I hate comparison. It makes someone a loser. I feel bad, convicted about that. North Carolina is great. Uh, let's talk about other nations, other nations. Anyone here born in Mexico? Yeah. Ah, welcome. Hola. Como estas? Glad that you're here. Um, anyone from another nation? Colombia. Colombia. <laughs> oh, man. Where they have great coffee. Never been there. Uh, anywhere else? Germany. Germany, three Germany people. Wow. I knew this service was feeling intercontinental. I knew it. I knew it. Anyone other than, what about Australia? Anyone from Australia? Okay. Uh, in February, our grandbaby will be born in Australia. She will have dual citizenship. She'll be American and Australian, which is great. And when they come to visit, we're going to ask them to bring Crumpets. So anyway, uh, what other nation? Anywhere else? Nowhere else. So I think that's it. We have a pretty good section. No one from England? <laughs> oh, yeah. We all are. Um, so anyway, um, we've got all of these people, and I just want to say I feel really excited to have you here. 
And I think it's, oh my gosh, Moo and Michaela are here on the second row. Let's give it up for Moo. Talk about, talk about family. They, they've been with us for years and then moved away. I guess you're visiting or you're moving back? Oh, North Carolina. Oh. Glad you're here, Moo. I am really glad that God got us all together. I mean, I'm in a series called Uncomfortable, and you see we have a couch here that's made out of cinder blocks. It's super uncomfortable. It's supposed to represent being uncomfortable, uh, although it's pretty and a lot of people would like it in their backyard. I do want to tell you that last week as I was preaching and I sat down on it, I had my phone in my back pocket, and I shattered my screen, and uh, that's very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. But today, I'm not going to sit on the couch because I still have the phone in my back pocket. But I want to talk about something else that's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. And sometimes I think we like to talk about it. Sometimes we don't like to talk about it. But it's simply this. Family. Family. I'm not talking about moms and dads and kids. I'm talking about the church family. Like, we're family. No matter if we've got the, the Germans in the room, the Mexicans in the room, the North Carolinians in the room, we're family. We are family, and, and I'm, I'm afraid that you and I don't fully understand what that means in the context of what God wanted to create. You see, this whole thing we call religion and God and Jesus and church, it all started with family. That was the purpose, actually, that you and I were created and I want to take you to Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. God is talking here to Moses, by the way. And he says, I hear the groaning of the Israelites. In other words, they're... they're prayers, they're complaining, they're groaning, they're whining, whatever it is, God is, God is hearing it. And his heart is going out towards them. He's, he feels bad that they're in the current situation that they're in. He hears it. And he also remembers his covenants. At this point, he's made a lot of covenants with Adam and Eve. He's made covenants with Abraham. And now he's talking to Moses and he's saying, I remember all of the covenants that I've made with you. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Verse 7, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The creator of the universe is saying, I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to call you my own. Have you ever seen on social media, these people take selfies of their crew, their gang, the boys, you know what I'm saying? Or you get these girls, it's like a group of six or seven girls and they look flawless and lighting is perfect and like they just look phenomenal and they act like they just woke up like that you know what I mean and, and they they take a picture and they say uh this is my people 
You ever seen that? It's like my people, my tribe, my whatever. We are inclined as humans to want to belong, to want to feel like we're part of something bigger than ourselves. So, I mean, let's just not, you know, talk about the girls. The guys do it too. The guys take the selfies. They got three or four guys together and they look cool and they've got their basketball or their football, whatever it is. And they look like they've not been posing, but it's like the coolest picture ever. And I've been around for some of those selfies. And I'll just tell you that the guys take longer to pose than the girls do because it's a lot more work to make the guys look cool than the girls to look nice. You know what I'm saying? So we take that selfie and we say, hey, these are my, these are my homies. These are my boys. This is my tribe. This is my people. You and I are hardwired to want to belong, to want to be known. And that's the first point that I, I hope you'll write down because I know a lot of us, we, we don't want to admit, we're too prideful to admit that we need each other. Like, I need you and you need me. There is something that God did inside of us. He, he created this empty void that, that I want to belong to something bigger than myself. I want to be known and I want to be seen. And I don't know, I've, I've been through the seasons, the chip on my shoulder where I'm an isolationist and I don't need nobody and I like my alone time more than time with family or friends. I get it and I know that there's some personality things that lend itself to a healthy version of you. But what I'm saying today is at the end of the day, you and I need each other. We need the accountability. We need the grace and mercy to flow our way. We need to be able to be vulnerable with one another. We are wired to belong in family. I know as Christians that we are, we are found in the Father, but we are formed in family. Family is important. From the foundations of the earth, that's, that's why Adam and Eve were created, God wanted to increase his family. He wanted sons and daughters across the earth taking dominion on this thing we call planet earth. He wanted family. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, not just so that you and I can have eternity in heaven. And that's great. And if that's all the benefit it were, it would be still worth it. But the reality is Jesus came and took our place on the cross because our sins separated us from family. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we now can be one in family. We can be found in the Father, but we are formed in family. With family being so critical and important, it's no wonder that the enemy's number one target, in my opinion, is to destroy, demolish, tear apart, rip apart this concept and notion of family. He, he's doing it in the structure of our homes, moms and dads, kids against parents, dads against moms, that kind of thing, but also in spiritual family. God is trying his... God... Satan is trying his very best to create distraction and distance and division in the church so that family doesn't flourish here in the context of the local church, which is the global church. I want to take you to the New Testament. We saw in Exodus that God wanted to make us his people. But in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 2, 
It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have, would I, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? My father's house has many rooms. In this culture, they would send their sons out to find a daughter. And while he was out finding the perfect daughter, the dad would build a room onto their house so that when he found his bride, his wife, the son and the new bride would come back and live with the family for some amount of time, for a number of years. It was like an adoption of sorts. And so Jesus, Jesus is saying, in my father's house, in the mansion are many rooms. In other words, God isn't just pitching a tent in the back acreage for you to camp out and he can call you like his friend to occasionally visit. He's building on adding to his mansion a home for you because you are family. You're family. You get to use God's AC. You get to use his cable. You get to use his water. Why? Because you are family. Family. Family is the enemy's target. In the late 1800s, there was a liberal German. We have a lot of Germans in the room today. There was a liberal German theologian group that really came against this notion of Christianity, and they put out some bullet points. It was in the academic world, really, seminary and that sort of thing. It wasn't talked about much publicly, but they put out these points that tried to diminish what Christianity is all about. I wrote down a few of the points. They said that the Bible is filled with errors, and it's not God's word. They said that people aren't fundamentally sinful, they're good. They said the resurrection didn't really happen. It was only symbolic. In other words, Jesus died, but he didn't raise from the dead. It was only symbolic. They also said that Jesus did not lay his life down for us. He was a victim. He was, he was murdered and killed. He was a victim. He would not have chosen to lay down his life. Well, as you know, or you may think to be the case, that's not what we believe in Christianity. Jesus was not a victim. He was the victor. He laid his life down willingly so that you and I can be in relationship with our father. He, he wasn't just destroyed. He wasn't just a good prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher that happened to know someone had leprosy, so he knew the right herbs to give them, right? He actually spoke words of healing from his mouth, and as he spoke, his words became spirit and became life to the flesh of the people that needed them. He was the son of God. They, they tried to say the Bible was filled with errors. Uh, that's really convenient, isn't it? Because then what we don't agree with, we can just brush off as an error. But the Bible, my friends, is the inerrant word of God. Written by the hands of men, but birthed in the heart of our Father. So these good, godly men were kind of providing a rebuttal to these few things. They came back and said, people aren't, aren't actually fundamentally good. They're born into sin, and that's why we need a Savior. Regardless of the works that we do, we need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away the sinfulness that we're born into. Um, 
they wrote the reply of these fundamentals and they didn't include everything that they know about Christianity. But as it turns out, these fundamentals became the guidebook for what is known as Christian fundamentalism. It's a mouthful. The reason you should know that though is because out of Christian fundamentalism was birthed some things you might be aware of today. Pentecostalism, assemblies of God, the evangelicals. Basically, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've agreed with me up until this point of the sermon, you are evangelical and you, the, the processes and thoughts that you have about Christianity were birthed out of fundamentalism, okay? It doesn't mean that you're a fundamentalist today, but it was birthed out of fundamentalism. And so what we've found is we've built our denominations and we've built our mindsets around these key points that these people were addressing, but the problem is they didn't address the entirety of Christianity. So there are some things that we forget in our churches. You see, the fundamental paper started with Genesis 3, sin. And so we know that people are sinful. We know that sin is powerful in it, and it is strong. And once you step into the light of Jesus Christ, you are, are no more bound to the effects and the causes of sin, right? We we get all of this, and that's what denominationalism has created for us. It's taught us this, this script that we go by, and we say these few things. We say, we're a sinner, we need salvation, and the gospel gets really good somewhere, someday, when we pass away. We say that all have fall, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we desperately need a Savior, and we're going to heaven, and heaven's going to be great, right? That tends to be the cycle of communication that was birthed out of the fundamental rebuttal. Is this making sense to you? But here's the problem. We left off Genesis 1-1 in the rebuttal, which these were good godly men. There was no reason for them to say Genesis 1 because there was nothing wrong. That These people weren't bashing Genesis 1. But here's what we didn't build our churches on, the creation, the goodness of God, the, the fact that you were initially created to have dominion over the earth. Like you were initially created to be an image bearer for Christ and to walk in authority. So a lot of our churches aren't teaching the power of being in the family of God. We're only addressing the grace and the mercy of the creator. Now the grace and the mercy of the creator, that's a pretty good deal. But the problem is our conversation only speaks to the brokenness, not our purpose. The conversation only speaks to our fallen condition not our created condition. And when you start a conversation with culture and all you tell them is what is wrong with them, not who they are and why they are born, you have a story that loses cultural influence. There is sin in the world. We know that. but possibly we might want to shift our focus to the goodness of God, the faithful, 
righteousness of God. Not ignoring sin, don't get me wrong. No one here is getting a license to sin today. That's not what this sermon is about. My, my point today is that let's add the beginning and the end of the story. We've already got the fact that sin is bad and God is good, but let's just add the fact that you were created in his image. Like you have more power than you think that you have. You have more authority than you think that you have. You remember in Luke chapter 8, this is totally off my notes, so if it's not Luke 8, someone will correct me later. But in Luke, I think, 8, Jesus gets in the boat, and he goes across, across the water with the disciples, and a storm comes up. You guys remember hearing the story? Jesus is sleeping, there's a storm. And the disciples go to Jesus and they talk and they say, Lord, why are you sleeping? Now talking to God, and what do we call that? If you talk to God, what are you doing? Praying. All right, right. So Jesus is asleep. There's a storm. The disciples pray or they talk to God. What was God's, Jesus's first response? Why do you have no faith? Could you imagine if you just start out praying to God and his first response is, why do you have no faith? And you're like, but Lord, I'm, is this not faith? I'm praying. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever thought about that? Pretty bizarre, isn't it? They get reprimanded for having a conversation with Jesus. I think, I could be wrong, but I think what God is really saying is, do you not know the power that you carry to calm the storm that's inside of you? The lack of faith isn't in that you came to me for help. The lack of faith is that you didn't realize the power that rested inside of you to take care of this storm. When you start looking at scripture that way, things start to come alive. Matthew 14, Jesus, I think it's 14. <sighs> I'm not good with memorization. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Do you remember this story? And they come to him and they say, Master, we have no food. And he says what? You feed them. But we have no food. You feed them. What if we have been petitioning heaven for things that he's already placed seeds inside of you to be the harvest for the field that we've been praying for? Why do we need family? Because we need to understand that we are sons and daughters. Oh, I, I know that the enemy has tried to really take out the family Probably because he realizes that favor flows through family. Favor flows through family. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let us make mankind in our image. Do you know why the devil doesn't um, discriminate between Christian and non-Christian when it comes to brutality and wanting to terrorize people? Because every human alive is an image carrier of the creator. Whether they have said yes to Jesus yet or not, whether they speak your language or not, whether they have your skin color or not, whether they have as much money in the bank account as you do or not, every human that is alive today is the image bearer of Jesus Christ. So the enemy hates it. 
So he wants to not only destroy our connection to Father God, but he wants to destroy our connection to brothers and sisters because he understands that favor flows through family. It does. And look at the person next to you on your left or right and just know that's family. Now, it's convenient if that's your husband or wife or your kid, but if you don't know the person, let me say it again, that's your family. That's your brother, that's your sister. Nine years ago when we started the Exchange Church, we had a, a couple of people. I had a lot of family help launch this church, and the church grew rapidly pretty quick. Let's see. Let's try to count the family that was here in, on day one. On day one, it was myself, um, my wife, my son, Jordan. Stand up. Wave, everyone. That's my son, Jordan. He's seven. Jordan, run up here, son. Run. Jordan is 17. Since we're talking about family, might as well bring you up. Where's Tristan? Tristan in here? He's in prison. Tristan's serving. Uh, are you single? <clears throat> are you in the market? Are you looking? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're, we're praying for Jordan. Oh, you, you're getting your, help, your hair done? You're looking nice. All right, well, stand up straight. Look out at the crowd. I don't see anyone eligible here. <laughs> but all these, he wanted to be married when he was 16. He told us he'd be married. No, stay here, babe. <laughs> he said he'd be married when he was 16, but he's now 17. So I'm glad you didn't meet that goal because you've got some, some time left with us. Anyway, if, if they have any family or friends, they will get with you. See Jordan. Uh, you can email him at info at theexchangechurch.org. <laughs> That's my son, Jordan. Jordan is 17. Jordan was, yeah, he's awesome. Jordan is, he's a nine on the Enneagram, if you know what the Enneagram is. Are you a nine? Nines are amazing. Lawrence is a nine. You're not, lots of nines. Nines are peacemakers, and they're awesome. I'm a four, by the way. You knew that? We're going to do a, okay, that's off topic. Never mind. <clears throat> We're going to do a series on that and how every number of the Enneagram represents an aspect of the heart of God. And so it's going to be really fun. But anyway, Jordan is a, is a nine. He was seven when we started the church. He's now a drummer uh, almost every Sunday, dr drumming with Chase. And then he's also learning keys. So Jordan was here. Tristan was here. He was four. He's my son. Addison was 11. She's my daughter. Michaela is my daughter. Micah is my son. My sister and her husband, Amber and Greg, were here. They were doing worship. And my sister, Sherry, and her husband, Chris, were here. Still here, by the way. All here. My parents, my mom and my dad, if you remember them. I mean, they're still alive. They're actually in the service. <laughs> I don't know why I'm acting like if you remember them, they're there. Um, if you remember them pulling the trailer every week, yeah. that's what I think I was going with that. Uh, they pulled the trailer every single week. It was set up and tear down. My mom drove a trailer. My dad drove a trailer every week, every week. Um, who else? Family. Aunt D and Uncle Henry, they were in first service. They're not in second service. They would bring breakfast tacos every morning, every Sunday morning. And we asked them, even though we stopped set up and tear down, could they continue the tacos? But they've not done that. Um, 
I think that was all like blood family. But then you count Cheryl Biggs, who moved to here from College Station with us, and she was helping us in children's ministry. Cheryl, are you in here? Oh. <laughs> Cheryl's on the front row. Oh, Cheryl, come up here, dear. This is, this is Cheryl. Cheryl, um, get, let's get a mic for Cheryl. <laughs> this is what family does, right? <laughs> Cheryl, uh, Cheryl and Carrie have been really close friends, best friends for years. And, um, I know that Cheryl and Carrie both, they have many best friends, so you know, it's not exclusive, but y'all have been really close. And Cheryl has been like another mom to my kids. It's funny because, <laughs> so uh, Cheryl's African-American. And, <laughs> and I have, I have black kids, some black kids, and she had some white foster kids for true a story. season, true story, and when we first moved here. And so it was real funny. We would go like to McDonald's and stuff, and the black kids would call her mom, and the white kids were calling you mom. And so it was just very, very confusing for everyone involved. <laughs> uh, but Cheryl, Cheryl is a mom. She's got such a mother's heart for our kids, for our dogs, for all of you. She watches our dogs when we're, we're out of town. Cheryl, I want you... I want, I'm putting you on the spot here because that's what family does. I want, I want you to tell us how has being a part of this family impacted your life over the last nine years? Um, well, I can tell you this. I, I've met a lot of new people that, who have became family to me who, if I wasn't here, I wouldn't have met. Um, they've seen me through things um, that just ordinary people wouldn't see you through. Um, being close, checking on you, even when I was sick and in the hospital, like I had people there who would come and check on me. And so they impacted me and they became family because they cared. You know, family is not just blood, it's people who care about you and who will do whatever for you and do anything for you. That's good. That's good. That's all. Thank you. <laughs> Let's give it up for Cheryl. She's just so sweet. Oh, she is single. Yeah, I missed the whole opportunity. For those of you watching the video, this video podcast years down the road, you may email Cheryl at theexchangechurch.org. That's C H E R Y L. Her cell phone number is 512. <laughs> Just, kidding. Just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> but that's what family does, right? Not the joking stuff. Like family, as Cheryl said, sees you through difficult times. I feel like the enemy has really tried to undermine the value of family, and he's created a lot of orphans. Orphans that have a father 
without siblings. I know, I know a lot of people who know an awful lot of scripture, but they're not really following Jesus because they're not valuing family. If you look back in Acts, the book of Acts, we have what we call the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples of all the people. You've heard of that? Have you ever stopped to consider, like, the current church, what we consider discipleship are typically classes where we learn how to read the Bible, right? We, we have all of these classes on what is my fit, uh, what is my spiritual gift, and we, we call that discipleship, but God is giving us a commandment to go into the nations and make disciples at a time when the Bible wasn't even written. You ever given that some thought? What did the disciples do? Uh, we had Pharisees at the time that knew the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, had them memorized. They were of religious order. And, and, and we know in the book of Acts that they were trying to get Gentiles to come in, Gentiles being Romans and Greeks, and some of the Pharisees, who were now good, the good guys, by the way, because these Pharisees got saved, they gave their life to Christ, and they still had all of the knowledge of the Old Testament. Their, what they said to the disciples was, we need to teach all of these guys the first five books of the Bible. And, and Peter said, that, that's not working. Ha having the knowledge is not working. What we need is community. We need Discipleship needs to look a lot more like family than it does a classroom. Discipleship happens through family. You wonder why you're not growing. It's not, it's not because you're not spending enough time reading God's word. It's, you're not spending enough time living God's word in the context of family. I'm not trying to diminish the Bible. If you've been around any length of time, you know I... I value this an awful lot. What I'm trying to say to you is that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It actually is possible for you to know the Bible, but not follow Jesus. And, and could it be that we are building... A, a religious system that values checking off church attendance and listening to a sermon or listening to a podcast or getting your daily scripture from your Bible app and calling that Christianity when Christianity looks an awful lot more like sitting across the table at Chewy's and sharing life with one another, breaking bread, you buying my lunch. You know what I'm saying? That looks an awful more like the family of God where in those moments when Cheryl's in the hospital, in those moments when we, we lose a father of the house, Bob Strange, we had his memorial yesterday, in those moments we can actually lean into each other. You see, you build those family relationships before you need them, not whenever you need them. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. What's uncomfortable is the fact that if I really want to follow Jesus and be a Christian, I have to submerse myself in this messy thing we call family. And I know not 
all of you like me or like each other or they're probably that's more in first service than here but the reality is when you're reborn into this family you don't get to choose who's your brother and sister like we family you know what I mean I'm for you no matter what you're for me no matter what the kingdom of heaven was not built on the backs of personal preference I'll say that again. The kingdom of heaven, which you and I are called to bring to earth, is not built on the backs of personal preference. So we have to start fighting for one another, fighting for the relationship, not allowing the enemy to pull us away and to isolate ourselves from the work of God in the context of family, because that's where favor flows and that's where growth happens. I'm going to ask you to bow your head for just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you're saying you're ready to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ. You are ready to be family, to join this thing we call the church. Not the local church, not the exchange church, the global church. You are ready to be a son or a daughter of God. If that's you, if you're ready to say yes, if you're tired of running, just lift your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Church, repeat after me. There is no formula. Just repeat after me. Say, Father, I know that I'm a sinner. In this moment, I choose Jesus. In this moment, I choose Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on a cross. I believe that Jesus died on a cross. Rose on the third day. Rose on the third day. And takes away my sin. And takes away my sin. From this moment. From this moment. I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. From this moment. From this moment. My life will never be the same. My life will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 We're going to get the house lights up just a bit so I can see who I'm praying for. We have a, we have a booklet today, Next Steps booklet. If you said yes to Jesus, we want to give that to you. That's our, our gift to you as you exit today. Our ushers will have that. Listen, the Bible says that when just one person says yes to Jesus, all of heaven celebrates. Go, can we take a moment just to lift our hands, our voices, celebrate those that said yes to Jesus. Amen.